Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. Do you ever find yourself absorbed by something small, like staring at the way a leaf catches the morning sun, and it reminds you of something else or someplace else? Visual artist Lauren Over likes to play in this realm of the subconscious, asking, are we observing that connection or creating it? She says observing the world around us and interpreting it is the point of art. Today, we talk about being an eternal student, telling stories through images, and making sense of David Lynch and the moon. A note to listeners, we had very poor internet connection on this day of recording, so please bear with us. I didn't have a sense about myself that I was any more creatively inclined than anybody else. And I probably wasn't. I, I feel like at that age, it is more natural for everyone to be mm. engaged in that kind of thinking or exploring all the time. Um, uh, my mom and dad both went to art school, but neither one of them really um, ended up doing something along those lines for their main work later in life. So I didn't necessarily grow up watching them as professional artists, but I think that, I think that their mindsets were very, um, there was something about their mindsets and just what they modeled to me in their sort of daily routine life um, that I would consider artistic, which was just playful. They, they just could be silly and be lighthearted and be curious and um, really, notice little things, notice little things and really appreciate them. And they, I feel like they taught me to do that, to kind of see the world through this lens of really deeply sort of loving, you know, like nature and books. Um, Definitely, again, I feel like, you know, every kid probably loves to um, be read to, Mm. (laughs) but I really, I, I, I think I was particularly influenced by by books and um, book illustration growing up and, and even books like our big fat dictionary that had the little um, etching illustrations in it. I was really intrigued by those and that style and the combination of image and word. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense lot of looking sense. at your work. Yeah. <laughs> it must have had a <laughs> pretty deep impact because that's, that's uh, um, it's my work's always sort of gone in that direction and to some degree or another as I grew up and then ended up going to to um, art school later on well that's Um, awesome so it sounds like they were encouraging and supportive of you yeah I I mean I they couldn't have really told me I wasn't allowed to go to art school (laughs) (laughs) considering that's what they did um they yeah they uh, it wasn't initially what I thought I was going to do when, when I got into high school. My, my first inclination was actually towards psychology and oh. counseling. Uh, I was really intrigued by the idea of being able to uh, observe and listen to other people well enough and get into their minds well enough to interpret what was inside of them accurately <laughs> and be able to provide a sense too of them being heard and relief and validation and I, I I felt like that was something I could do and I thought that was what I would study but then I ended up just 
taking art classes as electives for fun, um, like for fun, and, and that ended up uh, um, developing into something that I realized I had a, a lot of talent at and really enjoyed and um, was worthy of pursuing as well. Um, and, you know, an important part of society. <laughs> yeah. Even. Um, socially important so what's interesting to me about what you're saying too is that with your parents like having that curiosity for details it's like that jives directly with what you're saying about looking into people's minds and like what makes mm -hmm. them tick and it's true I never thought of it like that but you're right just it's the same sort of idea of just observing closely and um yeah how do you feel if I mean can you see any of like those links those through lines between psychology or, or that your study there and art or your art specifically? I think even just incorporating um, the word, the written word and text into my work over mm. the years in school, I, I really was interested in printmaking and um, that kind of relates again to books and writing as well as images, but um, incorporating text in, I think reflected this interest in both the right and left brain side of um, approaching making work um, and an interest in really the work being able to connect with anybody, um, people who might be more um, more left-brained as well as right-brained, um, <clears throat> or speaking to that part of us as well as, you know, our intellect as well as our emotional selves and seeing that there's a boost in the power of the image if it could reach both of those levels of us as um, humans <laughs> yeah um, so in a way that that sort of connects with interest in psychology I think or just how our minds work how do we how do we perceive yeah. and receive um, images and language and after I finished undergrad I, I thought I would go to graduate school for art therapy um, oh, and I almost I did there's, I, a, there's a tie <laughs> that would have been a really obvious you know <laughs> uh, melding of the two um, and it didn't work out. I got into a program and I was, was really proud of it, but it ended up being just kind of an astronomical price for me at that time. And so I, I didn't do it. Um, but then later I started studied art education and there's a lot of overlap mm. there too. There's a lot of psychology. And as you know, <laughs> as a teacher, um, so much of it is um, understanding the psychology of how we teach, how we learn best, yeah. how we communicate. Yeah. Um, modes of communication and I, I mean I, what you're saying about making a difference for people and helping them interpret things like I really see that in your work mm. you know like as you're talking I'm like oh now I get that that's what she's you know okay that's what she's about that makes a lot of sense well I wanted to ask you um so you then ended up going to school for art and like at what point did you was there any struggle in sort of declaring, you know, hey world, I'm an artist? Or like when in that process did you know that you were an artist? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I still um, don't really understand why that's such a hard thing to fully embrace and proclaim as my identity. I guess maybe I, um, but even to this day, there's a little part of me that feels like for me to just come out and say, I'm an artist. It's like, there's not pretentious, isn't the right word, but presumptuous, maybe a little bit like um, it's presuming that I have a certain level of ability or expertise or something that 
um, it's hard for me to fully step into because I, I think, I feel like I will always be a student and I, and I want to feel that way. You know, I want to have that sort of mindset of the, I'm the eternal student and however much I've accomplished or learned, there will always be so much more. <laughs> um, so yes, I mean, definitely. And I, that's part of why I, I think I've vacillated between going, um, studying something like art therapy or art education or even graphic design versus allowing myself, which I finally did to just finish my master's in studio art. And um, even though that it was the least practical, practically applicable area, <laughs> um, the least likely that I would earn money from, um, you know, but ultimately, yeah, it was, I was in graduate school for a long time, part-time and I transferred um, once and the entire journey was somewhat of a process of really accepting that deep in my, in, down in my heart, what I really wanted to identify with was just a fine artist slash illustrator. Um, so I've, I've come, I've come away. <laughs> yeah. It brings you the most joy to create in. I, would, I guess I'd have to say um, drawing. It's, I think drawing of, I mean, whether it's literally like pencil or pen or whether I'm using something like ink or paint, but it's more line focused, I think to me feels like the most direct um, link to my mind or outflowing of my mind. It's the most immediate. Um, and again, like a, something like a drawing sort of bridges a painted image and a, and a written word. It has the linear quality of text um, mm -hmm. but then takes on the shapes and forms of drawing or, um, you know, forms. So I feel like yeah. it's kind of a nice media intermediary between writing and image making. So oh, I'm he hearing a lot of um, storytelling involved in your work because the line as the image or words, like, can you talk a little bit about just telling stories through your imagery? I've been drawn to various types of subject matter over the years from architecture to vehicles um, to landscapes. And um, I've done portraiture too, but I think that maybe not as much as telling a more complex story through my images. I do tend to look at whatever my subject matter is almost as an animate object, almost as a person. <laughs> Um, and as if I'm doing a portrait of a person. So in a way, I guess it's sort of telling the story of the character of the thing, of the object. Um, trying to convey the life that I see in it. Um, sense of a spirit there, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and in a sense, animate. Yeah, provide like a bit of animation to something that's static um, for the yeah. most part. So I guess there's that psychology element That's again, where I'm cool. trying to kind of read the personality mm -hmm. and describe it. And even when I do, when I've done writing um, a bit here and there over the years, I've always felt like I was better at just describing than inventing, <laughs> you know, mm. if that makes sense. I, I yeah. never considered myself able to really come up with something that I imagined as well as just describe what I'm looking at. Well, that just made me wonder, you know, for you as a writer, would you, would you say that when you're just in a, a descriptive mode, that that involves the imagination too? Or is it more, 
totally objective? I mean, or is it a blend? <laughs> you know, that's it. That is an interesting question, actually. I think it is a blend. And I think it's, you know, because you're looking at something and you're describing it in a way that evokes it, but also by tying it with other things, you know, for metaphor and simile and the choices of the words you might use with the colors, describe the color. Is it pink or is it, or is it the color of the dawn sky? You know, it's like those are all going to hit somebody really differently and how, what, how it makes them react. And it's something that um, I think is such a gut instinct for people, for writers, and I'm sure for, for visual artists as well. And I remember um, in middle school, my friend and I, we, we had this assignment to do this, to do like a writing thing about an event, like describing an event. And it was so obvious to me. It was so easy to just sit down and go, you know, this is what happened and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it was like, we went to this concert and this is what it was like and da, da, da. And she just sat there and she's like, I have no idea how to do this. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, how do you not know how to, how to do it? Like, it was so weird for me that she didn't know. And I sat down and I said, well, talk about like, what, what did, what did it feel like when you got out of the car? Was it cold? Was it warm? What did you smell? What did you hear? And like, you know, I kind of had to like pull it out of her to like get her to see, go back and creatively look at what she had objectively observed. And it was, it was a fascinating process. That really I guess it, is. it isn't innate to everyone as, as it seems, cause it seems so, it seems so obvious to me when I'm writing, I don't think I'm doing anything that special. I'm like, yeah, I can't anyone do this. <laughs> so but yeah. then, you know, it's like, I look at your drawings and I'm like, oh, I can't draw like that. At least I feel like I don't, maybe, I mean, I don't think I can, but it seems like to you, it looks like it's effortless. I guess that's a good example of how, um, even when we think we're being objective, um, it's actually very, it's actually very difficult for us to, to get into that mode, especially, especially when we're looking at ourselves. <laughs> It's almost impossible to objectively look at ourselves. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about um, commercial work because you've done a lot of working. So like working with clients and interpreting their visions and their stuff, like how, yeah. how, how do you get them what they want? Like, what do you think makes a successful artist client relationship? That's a great question. <laughs> um, it's actually an area that I have, wavered a bit as well as to whether am I really cut out for for doing work with clients or for clients of course everybody's different but for me personally I've come to the conclusion that it's really important to to make sure up front that it's a really the match is really on a deeper level <laughs> aligns with you and your interests and heart mm -hmm. as the artist part of you <laughs> so that your heart can really be in it and it's not just mm -hmm. purely you're not just taking on any, any assignment. Yeah. Um, because it can, there's a certain amount of yourself that you have to put aside. I think anytime you're working with the client and be willing to just be a vessel for their vision, just almost be like the physical mechanism through which it happens. <laughs> and, um, yeah. You know, there's, it depends on the client, how much they want of your own, vision to, to come in and how much mm. they want to control it, you know, and almost use you like a little robotic type of <laughs> device. Right. Um, and sometimes it can feel that way. And it can sometimes, um, that can be difficult. That can feel frustrating. And um, it's actually something I'm still learning. I feel that I'm, I'm still newer to. I think the most 
important thing is to just be humble and you really have to be able to put your ego aside and think of it as being of service and be willing to go in there and edit and revise and adjust and tweak and tweak again. And, you know, like sometimes down to really minute little details, step back, step out of it, Mm. move yourself. I know I struggle with that with myself when I'm working with a client's with a client who maybe if I haven't defined clearly mm. how many revisions and then like yeah you start to feel taken advantage of because it's like oh yeah. man like do you have do you have a gr- an agreement or like a thing you use when you're working with a client yeah that's a great point you know that that was definitely something I didn't think about at first and um realized yeah it is I guess it's like any relationship or most relationships that the, the more clear you are about what their expectations are and what your, your boundaries are. Yeah. Um, the and that's more so hard. Flow. Yeah. Cause for the ever, I was just like, Oh crap. Okay. I'll just keep going back. And then you're realizing you're like, if I amortize the money over what I got for the project, it was like less than minimum wage. Yeah. It's so easy for that to happen. Um, I, Sometimes somebody will agree to, to working, having you work for an hourly wage, or I've had that experience oh, at times nice. too, and that always feels much more fair. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they it really honors your time. That. Yeah. Is that, do you, is that something you do too, or do you normally have more of a set amount and then specify what that involves you delivering? Yeah. I generally work off of, I'm not a member of the WG yet, but I work off of like their agreements, their basic thing is you agree to, um, you know, a certain amount of foundational work, like outlining and whatnot, a certain amount, and then a certain amount of drafts and rewrites, you know, they give you notes and you do a rewrite, they get like that. And then, and you have a certain amount that's standard and agreed upon. And then beyond that, you have to pay me extra. So it's just what you were saying before, um, really made a lot of sense. Um, my friend, uh, my friend Liz Hara was actually our very first guest ever on the first Hearthside Salon that we did. And she's an Emmy winning uh, writer. And she was, we were talking about write for hire in working with clients. And she said that um, at a certain point, you really just have to push yourself to remember, this is not like, I'm here to do a job. It's not my baby. And I have to do what they want. And I think as artists, it can be so hard to like, put aside that you're doing art, but you're doing art for someone else's vision. And I know I've, I found that to be sometimes really opening and really exciting and sometimes really a big challenge. Yeah. And I was going to talk about next. That's how we came to know each other was the movie posters that you've done for my partner's films. And then now the film that she and I have together. Um, so I find that really exciting. And that's when I was like, oh, I love this work. And I didn't know who you were. I just was like, oh, that's really cool. And it looks like the other poster for your other film. And then she was like, it's the same artist. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh so yeah. Like, yeah. From there, I found out that you have this Astro Botanical Tarot deck. <laughs> what made you want to do this? I sort of stumbled across the subjects of astrology and tarot once I moved out to California, probably now. It was probably around 2011 or 12. And um, what drew me to them, again, was how much of an overlap I saw between the symbolism in them and psychology and this idea of personality type or archetypes that 
I'm particularly interested in. Are you familiar? I'm sure you probably are with the Myers-Briggs type indicator test. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about personality types and when you're building a character for a script, like what elements does that character need to have? So we end up talking about Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and mm-hmm. like in our classes actually. I just eat all of that up. I can't get enough of it. I'm, I'm not really sure why. I just, um, I guess it has to do with just understanding people and both what's different about us and what's the same. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I love, I've always been, I guess, growing up just in stories and um, fantasy and science fiction type genres. I've been really intrigued by these kind of categories of characters that would be described what their strengths were and what their weaknesses were, what their sort of powers were, you know, or, um, and Mm -hmm. so I, I, I found that reflected in astrology and, um, and tarot. So I started to delve into that. And then eventually I got to the point where I thought the next level of kind of learning or memorizing this information would be for me, me to maybe create a project that conveyed what I already have learned so far, but also kind of forces me to, even further expands that knowledge because it's either you know the major arcana are are a huge there's like all these things that are so fixed in like yeah this they always there's always this basic symbology behind things and there's always this person this guy character who does this and this character who does that and and so I found it really interesting looking at your deck that it's just sort of like I'm gonna go my total own way here (laughs) And, and so I just, I would love to talk uh, more about like what inspired you and how like you've got a historic, well, at least on these bigger ones, you've got a historical figure, mm. a botanical thing, something from the natural world. Sometimes they have uh, an element. It's just, there's so much going on with every card. And I just would love to know, like the first, the one I just picked up here is, is Jimmy Page. You've got Jimmy oh, wow. Page on the judgment card with uh, Purslan lead and resh right <laughs> and rebirth and beginning yeah. talk to you like talk to me about like all like to give people a mindset like a, a way into this deck like all the things going on here and why yeah it's so funny you pulled that one because i guess it's the combination of all of these different types of imagery some of the combinations have very obvious connections like every tarot card there's a pretty established system of connection between each tarot card and um, segments of the astro- astrology zodiac wheel, 10, 12 signs that I'm not making them up. You know, there's a lot of yeah. reference to them out there. Um, but then some of the other elements, like the particular characters are people, <laughs> actual people. Um, and then the plant was another area I've become interested in is herbalism and plant medicine and plant symbolism and um, uses the selection of the particular plant and person are more random. Like there's, there might be something I thought about that connects them, but it's not as strong of a connection. Okay. Um, and so including them allows for a little bit more of this exploration of our own mind's ability to figure out what the connections are or draw these conclusions that aren't necessarily obvious. We have this ability to find meaningful connections between seemingly unrelated subjects that's just relentless like we just do it automatically um and i i think that's a fun thing to explore and another fascinating psychological component of the human being you know i was talking recently to a friend about this and 
speculating, like when we have two separate um, subjects and we make a connection between the two, um, are we observing that connection or are we actually creating it? <laughs> um, you know, mm. and it's sort of oh, that's a great question. Is that yeah. what we do? I create connections constantly between everything. Yeah. <laughs> and what a beautiful thing, really, if you think about it, that we would have that yeah. tendency to do that. And like, if, if there are two things. You're meaning making machines. Yeah. <laughs> two things that aren't related, we will find a way to relate them. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, we see that all over the place, both in, in story and, and even just what's going on in the world right now. We want to see, is this people want to assume a causational relationship mm-hmm. when there is a correlation or is it causation? And I think more often it's just correlation, but people are like, oh, this happened and therefore that is why that's going on. Or, you know, and yeah. it's fascinating to see how the mind makes these leaps. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, it's funny to like, because I look at like, David Lynch and the moon on, yeah. on the moon card. And I'm like, well, that just, made, I don't know why it makes sense to me because he's, <laughs> he's so out there and he's so creative and like has his, you know, so just maybe, I don't know. It makes some like an intuitive sense to me that you'd put David Lynch on the moon card. Yeah. And I mean, there's a really good example right there of how, um, you know, like I was recently reminded how um, the definition of the word intuition is different than I, I tend to think of it um, automatically. I, I reread it recently and it said something like that it's information that we have gathered um, based on our actual physical senses, perhaps like something, but that it's, that it hasn't come up into the conscious level of your mind. Like, yes. so you might've actually seen out of the corner of your eye, a car coming. Yes. You didn't consciously register it but you decided not to step out into the street and you would describe that as someone might describe that as intuition in the sense of you had some sort of psychic ability hunch about it, but it was actually based on one of your five physical senses. It's just that that information stayed at the subconscious level. Yes. But I mean, so for you to think that it makes sense for David Lynch to be connected to the moon, you might not be consciously thinking about this right now, but um, it's very likely that, in your travels and studies over the years, you were taught a connection between um, the symbolism of the moon and our subconscious minds. And David Lynch's work is very connected to the subconscious mind, you know, like his, his work around meditation, surrealist type of, of imagery yeah. and using work with our dreams. Like, I don't know if you ever watched Twin Peaks, <laughs> if you're a Twin Peaks fan or not, but um, one of his ki- oh, the main yeah. character, you know, was always getting information from his dreams and going off of it, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the work he did as an FBI agent. So, um, and yeah. so then what's, what, what's the dandelion connection with the moon? You know, I would even have to look at my own book and see what I said about that. But, it, but you know, what's funny is I just made a connection that I'd never made before when you held it up right now, just in the, and this is just a funny, silly, kind of superficial connection. But you know how his hair is like this white poof? Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe I was thinking about Big his silvery hair, moon. like the dandelion like <laughs> hair. And then um, are these at the top? Are those Hebrew symbols? Yes. So um, there is a connection between the Hebrew symbol and the, the number of the card. The, okay. the number of the Hebrew letter and then the number of the what's called the major arcana card, which is just the first 22 
of the cards in the tarot. And those are the and ones then, that are most associated with these major archetypal figures that we experience and encounter as we go okay. throughout our lives. That we all and then what's the, what is the, the little symbol at the bottom of the cards? Um, so, and that's, um, that's an astrological symbol. So oh. it's like the sign for Aquarius that on that one. I see. You know, actually, I, I hope you, if you don't mind, I, I had, I kind of thought of a question I, I wanted to ask you. And David Lynch is a good segue because he talks a lot about that sort of thing, you know, like using something you might have dreamt about as inspiration or to guide you in your daily life. But just as a writer, I mean, do you use anything like tools like automatic writing or kind of stream of consciousness writing or that with the intention of just drawing out less than conscious ideas, you know, or... I don't, um, I, at least not, I don't know, not very often. I do journal in the, in the try to journal in the mornings and capture like, what was my dream? Like before I forget it, you know, and then just sort of give myself permission there to just talk about any upsets or any like things I've been processing, probably woke up at three o'clock in the morning, spinning about like arguing, I should have said this and you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, <laughs> I try to like get all that out and cause then it's like, it's like a poison, you know? And I feel like I get it on the, in the, the journal pages and then I can stop spinning it in my head. Cause it's like, I've said it, even though I may not have said it to the person, it's like, that's out. That thought of what that dream might meant, might've meant was, is out. And I feel like Okay, but I don't generally use it as because screenwriting is so prescriptive and so form like there's so many rules that you mm. can't really free write it. Yeah, that makes sense. But in something like if I were working on sometimes if I'm working on like a uh, doing foundational work, I'll work on like, okay, I need to write some monologues for this character, not to use in the actual script, but just so I get inside this character's head then I'll, you know, I might do something more like free writing or automatic writing and just sort of hmm. figuring out like what makes, if I'm that character, what do I think about this? How do I feel about that? And then you just kind of go and you don't censor yourself and you don't stop. That's really fascinating. <laughs> um, it's really fun. It's fun to see my writers do it because it's a, there's some assignments that I give them and they always come back and going, I learned this stuff I didn't know about my character. I'm like, <laughs> I know. That's why it's so cool because they're all part of of us you know they're all different facets of who we are and so yeah. you're discovering stuff about yourself yeah that's another thing I was kind of wondering about with you because for this tarot project it was a part of it was for me it was about wanting to share what I already knew but another part of it was wanting to build on that knowledge and learn more in the process of creating it so I, I was wondering if nice. you know when you're writing a lot of times do you tend to come more from a place of wanting to share what you've already experienced and learned, or is it in a way, is it also for you um, or more of a way for you to explore something you don't feel like you understand yet in your writing? I think it's both. Cause it's like, I, you know, I think I know what it's like with the, with the, the movie that I wrote with Delilah. It's like, okay, I think I know what it's like to be a 13 year old kid. I don't know what it's like to be a black girl. Delilah brought that part in, you know, and so and so then I'm writing this character. I'm learning more about, you know, like, for instance, just cultural stuff like I didn't realize, you know, I was writing it from my sassy white girl privilege, 
you know, and I like, they, I wrote a scene where I had the girl mouthing off to her uncle who's got custody of her. And Delilah was like, no, no, that would not happen. It would not. And I was like, oh my God, really? So we had this whole conversation about what that interaction would really go like. And, and I was like, and so I had to recalibrate. Okay. When I'm inside this character's mind, this is more how she looks at things, not from my own experience of being a 13 year old girl, but from you know, so it's like you're building this other personality to then look out at the world through their eyes. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're, you're built, you're, you're bringing what you know, but you're also then constantly learning. And it's, it's a, it's such a fascinating and rewarding process. I love it. I love that too. Is it more common in the world of screenwriting for people to write with partners than in your experience no. or, or it's, it, no, I think it's just, it's a mix of anything and everything. And most people I know have worked with a partner at least once. Some people prefer it. Some people prefer solo. It just really depends on what moves you. Yeah. Well, so, so what's next for you? What are you working on? What's what now that you've completed this and this beautiful book that accompanies it and it's coming out for sale on sacredinfinite.com. What's next? Well, I have another project in mind that's, um, in some ways, it's fairly similar subject matter, um, but it's a little bit different in that um, in the process of making this Earth Star book, I, I started to learn a little bit more about um, the history of medicine and physicians and how not very far in our past there was um, actually it was very common for doctors to use um, not only only medicine that was made directly from plants, which I'm wanting to learn more about. But also they were astrologers. <laughs> and they oh, would, wow. They would use a person's astrology chart and the symbols, you know, of where each of the planets was when they were born and what they stand for. And all the planets are associated with a particular part of the body and, um, wow. and use that as part of their diagnostics. Um, and so- I have no idea. I know who knows that sort of thing. And so there's this whole world of a relationship between plants and their uses and then how they relate to planets and what their symbolisms are. And I just, um, so I'm intrigued by that. And yeah, um, it's like I, this overlap I, between science <laughs> and um, art and metaphysics and like, yeah. It used to be there must used to be much less of a distinction between science and art, I guess, um, in some ways, or science and religion. And yeah, I kind of want to do the same thing, or maybe I do a series of paintings that could um, also then take the form of a book or a deck again. That I think I want to keep exploring those formats because I like how personal they are, yeah. how um, intimate they are, and how you can sort of play with them and handle them and they're accessible to anyone you know it's not just this one painting um, yeah you know in hearing you say that I could totally see you doing a deck of like angel cards you know where it's just like you would (laughs) just dip in and pick one up and you don't have to know how because like you know I've I've got your set I've got Delilah's gifted me some beautiful tarot sets and I look at them and I'm like these are beautiful and I don't know how to read them and I don't feel like I have the time or the patience to sit down and study how to like do yeah. a, a reading and like figure all. So I'm like, eh. Yeah. But like with a thing like angel cards, you can just go, I'm just going to pick a card and how do I feel about it? Okay, great. That's my day. You know, yeah. that's such a good point. I'm really glad you said that. Thank you. Because 
I, um, yeah, that's, I want it to be just straightforward and more usable for people. And, um, and it also kind of ties in with that whole, um, you ever kind of heard about how, I guess in the Victorian era, there was almost a language of flowers and plants. People would send messages to each other um, through, through this common understanding of what flowers symbolized and so I, I think that so, would be fun to throw in there too just to don't um, you love that that was a thing that people just knew yes <laughs> I just this is a side side tangent but I just saw um Enola Holmes on Netflix this weekend and um you know she, uh, Sherlock and 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 uh what's his name Mycroft's sister and it was very charming and cute but part of the plot is the secret the language of flowers and mm. how, how it, like, they all have these meanings and, and there's this little book that she has and like, and it's partly how she solves this mystery is like by looking at what the plants mean and how people sent messages through different plants. And I'm just like, that's so cool. That is, that's such a fun sounding story. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like at this point we're just reduced to like roses are romantic and like daisies are friendship. And that's kind of, yeah. that's it. That's all we know. Yeah. And it also kind of reflects how I, I think that, uh, you know, this larger growing away from being connected with the natural yeah. world for a yeah. lot of us, definitely yeah. those of us living in like urban environments. And well, I feel like I, 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 I that's something that makes me really sad. And I think it's, you're, it's true. And I went on a, a, a walk, there was a, an herbalist that, that, that he does. Well, I don't know what's happening now, but he was doing walks at Griffith Park here in LA, where he would walk you, like take you on a guided hike through Griffith Park and point out all the plants and their uses, whether they were edible, medicinal, poisonous, blah, blah. And and it was so fascinating. And just to realize you can walk through your local park and there's a banquet of things and that, you know, we don't know them. We don't know what they are. And I was taking notes and I still am just like, wait, which... And for a couple months, I was really, rec- there was three different plants that I was really recognizing. I'm like, oh, that's miner's lettuce. We can eat that, you know? And now I'm like, yeah. I just realized the other day, I'm like, I'm kind of, I forgot what's what and how to use it. And what if I'm hungry yeah. and I'm on a hike? And <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I've got to do, I've got to go on one of those. It was really cool. Anymore. I feel just like that's, it, that's backyard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, it is, it's like everywhere. It's in our own backyard. And I feel like yeah. I wish that. I would, I would personally like to have more of that knowledge. So definitely. Yeah. Just the other, the only other thing I kind of was thinking about was, and it goes back a little bit to the idea of collaborating, whether it's with mm. another person or whether it's with our own intuition or, or, but just this idea that there used to be of the muse, like the ancient Greeks uh, yes. believing in the muses and how, I think I read earlier today that for example, like Homer would pray to the muse before writing, you know, and ask, wow. to, ask to be used, you know, like work through yeah. me. And I just, I think that idea is so fascinating that um, the muses, <laughs> like well, and what, that's what, you what are they really? Yeah. <laughs> what, but they? Also, what are they now? And just, you were saying earlier about being an instrument for someone else's vision. It's like yeah. in that context of the client, but like also, you know, and I feel like, I don't know about you with art, but with writing, I definitely have that moment where it's like, it doesn't feel like it's you that's doing the work. Yeah. It just feels like you're channeling from somewhere else. It's like, 
And then sometimes you'll go back and you'll look at the pages and be like, these are really great. Like I almost, it, 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 <laughs> yeah. like in a way that like, it's like you're looking at someone else's work. You're not like being egotistical about it, but it's just like, wow, that, thank you. Like, it doesn't feel like it's you. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of another idea that the, the tarot touches on. Like, it doesn't necessarily say this is the case for sure, but it opens up the possibility that, or the question, are, is there greater other intelligences out there that we can connect with, that we can, you know, have these mind melds with, <laughs> you know, that happen spontaneously or because we ask them to happen or um, I just, I don't know, but I think it's the most fascinating. Well, I feel like there's all, there's the, you know, the collective unconscious and all that stuff too is like, yeah. you'll see when all of a sudden there'll be a certain type of story and all of a sudden there'll be five of those types of stories like in movies and TV. And it's like, whoa, everyone was thinking about this one thing right now because we're all talking about it now. And we're all, it's a creative thing that we all need to talk about it or, or, or express it creatively. Mm. More things, that, yeah. more things in heaven and earth, Horatio. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm excited. I love, I love your work. I love the, it feels really accessible in that, like having just started to try to learn drawing and painting, I look at it and go, okay, I can draw, I can, I can sit down and I can draw this owl. I can, you know, I could try to draw an owl and then I can do my watercolors and, yeah. you know, it's like, it makes it feel like it's not, you know, you look at the Sistine Chapel and you're like, I could never do that. But yeah. I look at this and I'm like, I can try. <laughs> and I love that it opens that up. It's just like, I can try. That's great. That's, that's, that's really cool. I would love for people to feel that way. And also with my, with this particular um, <clears throat> deck and book, I, I think I, hopefully I say it somewhere in the intro. I can't really remember right now, but um, the way I look at tarot is that you don't have to follow these traditional meanings or memorize what they were, have been. I think what makes it fun and, and more alive is that no matter what the, the traditional meaning might be associated with a particular card, the real meaning comes with the personal associations that you bring to the imagery and mm. what memory that might evoke for you or experience you had recently, or everybody brings their own set of, you know, kind of their own language and symbolism to the images and words. So you actually could approach it that way and just whatever you, whatever it makes you think of is the meaning that it has, you know? Yeah. So in that sense, I hope people do feel like they can just, they don't have to become scholars or. <laughs> yeah, no, that's know. really great. Cause I, w I was, one of the questions I had that I just realized I didn't get to was what do you hope people get out of this? But you just, that mm -hmm. answers it perfectly. So. Yeah. Like you mentioned in a, I think in the description, just sort of like a Rorschach uh, inkblot test is yeah. like any, any image you look at, um, it's going to remind you of something and, and, and what it really is showing you is something that's inside of yourself. Um, you might already know, you might already have brewing on a deeper level, you know, yeah. helps to just draw it out. Um, well, I just love, like, I'm just realizing you've got, so I picked up nine of air just mm. randomly and um, you've got pens mm. and yeah. set of, is that for swords? <laughs> Would that be swords? Yeah, in most tarot decks, uh, that would be um, the air element is represented by swords. Um, I love it. And then you've got the crystals for fur. Yeah, would be uh, coins in a lot of decks. Okay. So, 
So that's so neat. It's just a really, I like, I like that representation. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like you had a lot of fun with this and it's, they're fun to look at and they're fun to play with. And um, that's the main goal actually. Yeah. (laughs) We need some, we need some levity and lightheartedness right around now. And I think like these are a nice, a nice way to access that. Next time on Hearthside Salons, composer Jeff Rona has always been curious about what moves people. His curiosity served him well. He's got a list of film, TV, and video game credits a mile long. He's scored projects for names like Spielberg, Altman, Soderbergh. His new solo projects feel like he's finally finding his voice. We'll talk about the intersection of creativity and technology and how music creates emotion. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept to pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, or to be part of our live recording audience, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from Pagecraft. Thanks for listening and stay well. <laughs>